Um, I'm Simon, I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity, and pleasure to be with you. And I moved to Cheltenham uh, about four or five years ago. Um, and previously, I'd spent 30 years in St. Albans, which is a town in Hertfordshire, a city in Hertfordshire, sorry. And I grew up in a very isolated bubble. I grew up with a Christian family, Christian friends. I went to a Christian school. I even went to a Christian church. Yeah, that was... It's a, it's a bit of a joke, that one. And I lived and I breathed Christianity. I went to all the camps. I went to the Sunday schools. I enjoyed the Christian fun things like a dance group. Believe it or not, I was part of a dance group. I know. I don't know where the moves have gone, but they've disappeared. And I was part of a youth club. I was, you know, the worship groups. I even took part in sports that were designed to be run for Christian boys and girls. My life was wrapped up in this bubble wrap. And I was very protected. But later, I was then dragged off to a sixth form school. And I'm thrust into this environment of uh, a secular boys' school to do my A-levels. And this brought a, a huge amount of trial to me, some challenge, some testing, as I got to see how strong my faith really was or wasn't. And some years later, I went to university and learned all about going to church for myself and not being driven there by my parents or being driven by my parents to do it. And it was now up to me to read my Bible, to pray, to worship God in all that I was doing. And now no one was watching me. New challenges, new trials, and I were being thrown at me again. And you might be thinking, well, this isn't new. I went to uni. I did all this. And you, might, you would be right. But remember, I'm this naive Christian boy who thinks the world is predominantly Christian. And it's interesting how we go through a phase of testing like this to see if our faith will stand up to the scrutiny. For some, it's work. For others, it may be through family, a traumatic event, suffering, maybe a huge setback in your life. Do we really believe God is going to come through for us in our moment? And a few weeks ago, um, I got back from a mission to Kenya. We had a fantastic time there. Um, but the week before we left, it was just one of those weeks. I don't know if you've had one of those weeks. You have a week where everything comes together and it just goes wrong. And first of all, my car is hit by a white van driver, loses control, smashes into the back of the vehicle, and just drove off. He didn't even stop to say sorry. He didn't stop to say, here's my insurance details. He just drove off, screeching away. And the day before, my wife has fallen over on a dog walk, and she's broken her arm, broken the radius of the arm. So how she did that, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, it's a long healing process, and she has still got a, a brace on at the moment. And of course, I'm about to go to Kenya for two weeks. I'm leaving her at home to lift this baby up and down and put into a bath, take it out of a bath, and there's no one there to help. She's also about to go to General Synod in London, uh, if you don't know about that, uh, talk to Jennifer. <laughs> and then she get, we all get hit. The whole family gets hit with this sort of COVID Mark V. I don't know what, what state it's in now. 
And we're thinking, what are we going to do? And we started to call the Marines in. We got grandma and granddad in. They come to rescue us. And at this point, we're thinking, how can we ramp up prayer covering? How can we get some prayer, anyone, to pray for us? And we're frustrated. We're worn out. We're tired. And our initial reaction, my initial reaction as well, I would hasten to add, was to whinge, to whine, to moan, and to blame everyone else. I don't know if anyone here can relate to that. What I should have done was to run to God. I should fight for my faith. But eventually, after the whining and moaning had subsided, we did run to God. And Trinity has been looking at how we can be courageous, how we can be courageous resistors, how we can learn from Jesus how to stand against adversity, be lighter foot, and putting our best feet forward. Our latest mini-series so far has been looking at the temptations of Christ. He's 40 days and nights in the wilderness. And we're looking at the second temptation today. Jesus has almost finished his period of testing and was challenged last week to turn stones into bread and to feed himself. He resisted. And we pick up at verse 5 of Matthew chapter 4. So if you'd like to turn with me, we'll read together from Matthew 4, starting at verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So our title today is Fighting for More Faith in God. And I want to focus on three points, three aspects of process. The first is faith in the waiting. Faith in the waiting. The practice of patience, trusting in the timing of God. And so as Jesus is brought to the holy city, he stands on the high point of this temple, which, by the way, would have probably looked over a very highly populated area. And the devil is saying, just jump. Jump in. Jump off this high point, and let's see if God will save you. You'll have thousands of followers overnight. Won't that be a nice boost to your ego? A good leg up for your ministry? And I suppose the modern-day equivalent would be that influencer on social media being offered a million followers straight away. No work needed to be done, just there's your million followers. You're now popular, you're now famous. And the temptation of Jesus for 40 days in the desert, it mirrors also the 40 years the Israelites spent walking around, set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rapidium, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, 
give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you will strike the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled. And because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? So here we're reading about Moses uh, taking the Israelites out of their miserable slavery into Egypt, uh, in Egypt and making their way through the barren wilderness to the promised land over here. And the Israelites are upset with Moses for bringing them away from the comfort of food and water and even the comfort of their familiar slavery even if they were being treated badly and they had no hope. And at this point, they want the water more than they want to trust God to provide it and even to keep their livestock alive. And remember, God has been miraculously providing for them, just in the way he got them out of Egypt, from rescuing them uh, from the plagues to the provision of daily bread from heaven. And last week, we saw Jesus resisting this temptation to turn stones into bread to satisfy his hunger. And this passage has made me wonder, why don't we wait for God? Why are we so unwilling to stick with him in the difficult moments? Why don't we trust him to come through in his perfect timing? In Matthew, though, we see Jesus understanding what it means to wait to lean into the promises of the Father and to not look for a shortcut or a quick fix. And we need to be willing to let God move in his perfect timing. 2 Peter 3 verse 8 shows God has his own sense of timing. It says, With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And this is one of those verses that in many ways is easy to understand but really hard to live out. Waiting can be difficult, especially when we don't know what the end result is going to be. But God promises us that he has perfect timing. Never early, never late. God is never in a hurry. But he is always on time. We don't need to fear a lack of recognition from others because that's not our source And Jesus knew the source. He knew that his source of recognition is the Father. And so he knows he's loved, that he belongs, that he has worth and does not need to take advantage of his position of power to force a following. Know you are loved. You're known by the Father, worthy by grace, not works. And the Holy Spirit works in you. So we have looked at uh, a bit of God's timing here and that he does not work within a time frame like we know it. 
But what are his methods? What are his purposes for our life? And I want to talk about faith in his purposes and an inward and outward process. And that's our second point. Faith in his purposes. So the inward is a plan for our lives. We don't always know the full picture, but maybe we know the ending, maybe we know the beginning. And sometimes when we watch a movie trailer, a film trailer, it shows us what that beginning is. Sometimes we watch a film trailer and it's, it shows us maybe the big uh, parts of that movie, the major bits. But it's not supposed to give us the whole picture. And often a prophetic word points us to something far off and calls us into a vision of something greater than ourselves. It starts with calling us out of something we are already doing or believe about ourselves and may remind us of who we are in Christ, what he has called us to be in our identity. Just as Jesus was told by God the Father after he was baptized, he says, you are my son in whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. God reminds him of his identity here, his inheritance, his unending love, his delight in him. He's just pouring it out in this moment. And you can see they're very clearly distinguished. God is not gauging how delighted he is in the Son or his love for the Son based on the success of Jesus' ministry. Because he hasn't started it yet. He does not love us because he's pleased with us. They are mutually exclusive. So when the devil is tempted, Jesus, tempting Jesus, he knew that the Father had said uh, what he said about him and trusted in the timing and the promises. He didn't need to prove it to anyone else. We need to realize that this is the same for us, that we are delighted in without earning it because we're not, we are simply made in the image of God. His love is unending. He can't stop loving us even if we stop loving him, because he's always working in us. And then there's the outward calling. The plan for the world that we join in with. The missio dei, God's mission for us. Maybe the commission, you could say. A call to make disciples. To go into the world and preach the gospel. And for some around the world, this may mean enduring persecution. But how are we equipped in this process? Well, we are equipped with the shield of faith to resist the lies, the fiery darts, the flaming arrows of the enemy, to resist the moments we want to doubt God's promises and goodness over our life. But this shield, it's heavy. It's really heavy. And we're often not carrying it out here. We're putting it on our backs and we're lugging it around. Because it's heavy. But it does protect us from the unseen arrows. But when we are preparing to go on that offensive, we put the shield out in front. It's front and center. And it's even used as a weapon. We thrust with it. We push it against our enemies and we force them back and we advance. We're not even got our sword out yet. This is just the shield moving as one 
because it's often many shields, isn't it? And I realize I'm giving a very medieval uh, backdrop to this. I don't know what the equivalent would be today, but I'm sure you can imagine that. The outward mission requires faith. No matter how big or small your shield is, Jesus knew this time had not yet come. He was in a season of preparation in the desert. And remember, he's fully human here. He's having his armor tested. He knew the truth of the word. He knew of his identity. He's righteous. He was going to preach the gospel. And he was now equipped with the sword of the Spirit. Are we ready to advance? Are we ready with our armor that's been tested to take the land? And the third point is faith in his authority. The devil is trying to do a a bait and switch tactic here. He's trying to bait Jesus into questioning the authority of God and whether he will even come through for him. And the previous temptation has challenged his identity as the son. So now the devil is saying, well, okay, you say you are the son. Prove it. Why don't you show all the people here, which is to say, and instead of submitting to this authority of God, to unquestioningly follow, to observe what the father is doing in heaven and do that, instead the devil says, switch your allegiance, challenge him, Put his authority to the test and see if he will save you. You call the shots. You make the demands. Maybe we're a little bit like that sometimes. We're slightly entitled in our relationship with God. Maybe we take his grace for granted. It's okay, I'll get away with it because God will forgive me. We start using God a bit like a vending machine where we're bargaining with him like a child does. So he will give us things. And so in our passage on the temptation, we see the devil saying, throw yourself down, prove your father's authority. But Jesus resists by saying, we shouldn't test the Lord. In other words, we don't get to start calling the shots. Then when Jesus comes to the end of his time on the earth and he's hanging on the cross, this is a lot later in in Matthew's gospel, we see he is challenged again. But this time it's by the crowds. And they're saying, come down. Come down and save yourself. Save yourself if you are the son of God. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if he wants him. But it's easy in our circumstances, isn't it, to forget who the tempter is. We start thinking that God is putting us under pressure to mature us in our faith. But that's not really what's happening. In James 1, it says, this is in verse 12 and 13, it says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But it is the devil, the devil who is the thief in the night, who's come to steal, to kill and destroy. And he will use all sorts of deception to get that result. 
to stop us in God's mission. So as I come into land this morning, let's take heart, brothers and sisters. Let's take heart that we are reminded of the truth in this verse. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, 6-7. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which, pre- which perishes even through refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 